0: Welcome to Thinking Edge with Ed Boudreau. So we couldn't be more grateful today to be with Jennifer Brown of Jennifer Brown Consulting, just an incredible force in the the industry and a multiple-time author as well with her latest release is How to Be an Inclusive Leader. So Jennifer, we couldn't be more grateful to have you today.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Excellent. Well, we'd love to jump right in with a a question, what is what does leadership look like today? What what is great leadership? W- would love to hear your point of view on that.
1: Yeah, well, it's changed and changing, right? It's it's a work in progress. I think that's one of these topics that is and should be evolving because leadership is only leadership in terms of what followership wants and needs, right? We exist, sure. we exist in relationship with each other and coming through 2020 into 21 learning all the lessons of a very difficult year about what's broken in the way we lead perhaps. I, I hope that the listeners listening to this are have been sitting with this probably feeling of maybe inadequacy, maybe a lack of competency or confidence or the maybe a self-assurance about what's worked in the past and having that not really work anymore. So I think we're all, we're being forced I think to accelerate our growth and our skill set development, and uh, go into the discomfort you know more and more often as we are realizing that really you know the workplace is changing in so many ways. where work happens, right, physically, virtually, office, no office, how we perform given all the constraints that we're managing on the personal side, so many of us. So how does that how do we give people grant people flexibility? and the right kinds of support to flourish and thrive is going to look different because we're balancing different and more things, I would argue. The stress is taking its toll, of course, on so many of us. So I think mm-hmm. that empathy comes to the fore for leaders and colleagues and, and all of us to say, if I've had led with this, what would that look like? And again, I mean, not to throw the workplace practices under the bus, but I just don't think empathy has been <laughs> in the forefront historically. So I'm really personally very happy for the moment to really think about, look, we all, to thrive in our professional selves, we need to feel that sense of psychological safety. And 2020, particularly with the racial justice movement and conversation has, I hope, been an education for so many of us. Some of us already knew that this was going on, but There are so many of us that don't feel that we're in workplaces built by and for people that look like us. And so we twist and we turn and we morph and we code switch and we assimilate or we hide. But either way, all of those things are compromises to our authenticity, to our full selves. And I know because I've experienced it directly as somebody in the LGBTQ plus community and also that was closeted for years and I think still... Is aware that stigma and bias can and do happen to me, but also as a woman in a male-dominated business world. So being sort of acutely aware of all of who we are and which parts of us may cause um, detrimental effects to our how we are estimated by others, it's a powerful thing to carry around every day. So I hope, you know, the gifts of 2020 is those insights. The insights into experience, the insights into the vulnerabilities and the struggle that is unique to identity, that I don't think we've adequately addressed in the past. And we need to, because we need a workplace that embraces everyone and holds everyone up. Because when our needs are held adequately, that is when we
0: perform at our best. I love that. It's beautifully, beautifully said. I, I love, you know, leading with empathy. And when we think about, the actual term human-centered design, right? Yes. Leading with, with empathy and in, in the heart, and really caring deeply for others, and listening, really truly listening, hearing, and and adapting. So I, I love that. And the you know psychological safety is creating that that safe environment for for people to bring their whole selves, and you know learning from one another, and, and really changing how we think about what an organization looks like, what an enterprise looks like. I'd love for you to, to drill on that too, is you know, as you see change to organizations and effective organizations, how do you, how do you think that will evolve as we you know, move from this incredible time that, that we've been a part of and how we can almost think from a forward perspective and, and being you know, more open and more understanding and, and having that high level of empathy
1: yeah i I do think we 're going to have to operate differently to create, for example, not just listening but more kind of action loops relating mm-hmm. to the listening yep. <laughs> um, the accountability right once i 've been told or once i've somebody has entrusted me with something very vulnerable which all of this stuff is very vulnerable to share because when we do share it, we've been penalized in the past, right? Or we've been ostracized or isolated or assumed not to be serious about our careers when we ask for an accommodation. So, you know, that's the reason, you know, in a nutshell, why we haven't been having an honest conversation about what's really going on for people. I mean, just witness, you know, mental health finally is being discussed and talked about and and educated about and, and resourced, you know, and that's that's going to be a huge action item. Gosh, if I picked almost nothing else, I would say, you know, acknowledge the, the other pandemic, right, which is right. The, the crisis of mental health um, as it's being experienced and how organizations need to attend to that. That would hit a lot of different communities of identity because mental health issues are being experienced across all different identities and experienced differently because of different levels of stigma related to mental health Discussions and treatment in certain communities too, and so that's when it gets really um, intersectional in terms of the way that we that we ta- one issue needs to be tackled through multiple lenses because it is experienced and there's varying degrees of comfort and fluency and even acceptance of the discussion of mental health amongst some communities. So, anyway, that is I think a huge priority. But so the listening needs to be accompanied by a feedback loop that goes somewhere, right? It needs to, uh, I think, be welcomed, nurtured, consistently uh, sought. So there's a proactive aspect of it versus just, oh, my door's open, you can come through anytime. I think we need to be a lot more proactive and assume there are struggles. And really our job is to be extremely, not just curious, but invested in knowing. Because what we don't know about our workforce can really hurt us, our retention, our productivity, our products and services, our customer relationships. What we don't know is all that stuff under the waterline of the iceberg that people are endeavoring to keep from us because of stigma. So we've gotta somehow tackle that and change that and have a real honest conversation about what's really going on for people. And I think our organizational strategies then need to flow from that and would look very different because then we'd be having a real truthful conversation, trying to remove that stigma, although it's hard because those things go deep. But I do think the goal of having a workplace where people can fully feel seen and heard is such a radical idea. But if we keep saying it and we kind of figure out what it means for us over time, because every culture is going to be somewhat different, we need leaders who are like making a lot of time for that and then reporting back from an accountability perspective to say, here's what has resulted from the listening that we've done. And and it's not in the rear view mirror. The listening continues to be part of our organizational hygiene. So it is, a, it is the way that we breathe as an organization. And that breathability, I would like ideally for listening to be sort of happening across all differences and all hierarchies. And so the way it's designed, I think matters too, that we are really reaching all different portions of a workforce, you know, all different roles, that there's not sort of an assumption of who gets, who is heard and who isn't and then there's of course global the global lens and you know allowing all of that so it's a lot of input and i think we're going to probably have to get extremely good at parsing through a lot of very diverse and wide-ranging data that we are being told anonymously or not and taking action on multiple fronts to build those new strategies and the hygiene as i said and the practices but I think there's there's scarcely an organizational practice that doesn't need to be revisited because we're so kind of behind and we're long overdue for processes that haven't been redesigned since, you know, they became kind of orthodoxy, right, in the working world. You know, I don't know. Do we do interviews differently? Do we handle resumes differently to control for bias? Do we still give performance reviews unconsciously, perhaps mm-hmm. modeling performance and ratings and things like that on you know, successful past performers, which as we all know, if we've studied this, um, can actually continue to create homogeneous workplaces. So, you know, when you start to look at advancement and promotion practices and criteria for readiness, I mean, all of this is, all I hear in it is, you know, it's like whack-a-mole, like bias, 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 like everywhere. So it's kind of, to me, there's so much opportunity prioritizing, it can be difficult, but the important thing is I think pick your low hanging fruit, you know, follow the practices of change management. This is a huge change and you need to apply all that we know. And then some about successful change management, like the, the, the art and the science of that and communicating often celebrating wins, you know, capitalizing on, on like low hanging fruit that is fixable, quickly versus like longer, sort of more systemic issues, but being very over overly communicative about things too, because I think we get a lot of, we would get a lot of credit for being works in progress and not giving into this. Well, if we can't do it perfectly, or if I can't be the perfect leader, I don't want to show myself being imperfect, or I don't want to talk about the work the organization has to do openly. I think that openness is really important because I, I, I would give a lot of credit to both an individual and an organization where I work if what I was hearing was, we are endeavoring to do this. We didn't do this you know, in the optimal way. Here's what we're going to do next time. Or here's what we're hearing. Here's what we're going to be, actions we're going to be taking. And then feedback, feedback, feedback. So I think there, that that goes a long way and that I think we fall into the trap of perfectionism and wanting to kind of be done, if you will, before we go public with the, the work that's happening. And I think that's a missed opportunity to engage, engage people and um, let them know that work is being done, you know, and that this is not, what happened in 2020 is, is, is something that was powerful and is changing the institution the way we think of ourselves and that we are sort of like a thread through fabric we are we are driving change through all of these things and here's what you're going to see in progress here's what you're going to see evolve and then i want to i want to also say sorry for the long answer but who's at the table with all of this you know we we one of the sayings in the disabilities community is nothing about us without us and I love that uh, because we have this bad habit of you know, grabbing our favorite people, grabbing the most comfortable people, people that we look like, you know, or look like on paper or literally, or grabbing you know, the, the decision makers, quote unquote, and not really having the diversity at the table to shape and craft what we want things to look like to be more inclusive. And so the who is at the table with all of this work matters so much. So I just would make sure that you carry that lens with you and almost like a checklist to think through, you know, whose voice am I missing? What are we trying to address where we're making assumptions because nobody in this discussion has that lived experience? If if that's happening, then pay attention to that and go back to the drawing board and insist on nothing about us without us, making sure that we're we're consulting with those who are impacted most to make sure that our intent doesn't exist in a vacuum, and then we're not gonna have the impact that we want because the impact is everything in 2021.
0: Yeah, I, I love the, the full kind of end to of, end of that thinking. You know, it all starts with, with empathy, listening, more importantly, acting, instituting change, and reporting back to see how that, that change is going. And I love some of the terms that you used around organizational hygiene, but also breathing, right, and room to, to breathe and, and, and really that room to breathe to understand others and making mm-hmm. sure that you're bringing everyone to the table to make sure that when we're creating change, instituting change in that change management that we're hearing all voices. Yeah, um, That's really beautiful.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's so important, it's, um, but it's a sea change, you know, even just thinking generationally about younger talent. I would really be very, very focused on bringing and making sure emerging talent is at the table as often as possible. They are the most diverse generation, uh, both visible and invisible diversities, uh, more open about those diversities. And I'm not even talking just about millennials, but Generation Z coming up behind them, which is, you know, the oldest of whom are 25 or so again, very different generation. You know, I I remember the days when millennials were the big conversation. I'm thinking, how are we ever going to wrap our heads organizationally around what this generation wants and how they want to be spoken to and retained? And, you know, uh, why would they stay, you know, with an employer and what's important? And now we have yet another set to learn who prioritizes inclusion, number one, by the way, even more than millennials. Like it is super duper top of mind, um, but also as the digital generation has smartphones from the age, you know, their tween years, access to information and expectation that everything is available, transparent, that can happen quickly because they're used to that immediate gratification. And so when you can imagine when they come into some of our more stodgy organizations that are, have been slow to change and may have a ton of sort of baby boomer or Gen X leadership without a lot of voice of early in career employees, um, you can imagine how disconcerting that might feel and how it might create sort of cracks in that relationship from the very get-go from even from the interview, you know, experience all the way through to onboarding, all the way through to, you know, getting trained up and working with and teams and starting to pick your head up and notice, wow, like this company doesn't talk about this, or I'm the only one that looks like me or one of few, or I don't see anyone in leadership that reflects my identity, or doesn't seem like people are comfortable having these conversations or those conversations. We, we laugh um, imagining a young person coming in and saying, wait a second, like, so we have unconscious bias training that's mandatory. (laughs) Like, why do, we need, why do we need to be taught how to value each other? And it's such an amazing realization to have for some of us in the older generations that we, we do need to be taught because you know we were told maybe it was okay to say, I don't see color. You know, those were generational norms for a lot of us. And exactly the opposite is true now. We need to see difference and difference wants to be seen and heard. That is a huge shift, I think, in how we operate in companies. And it's gonna take a lot of getting used to, a lot of humility on the part of older generations. I mean, it's hard to get used to, I guess, for some of us that I'm not the one with all the answers, right? I'm not the one in with the most I might have one kind of power, but I don't have other kinds of power. But remember, your younger talent has a ton of power. It's a different kind. To me, it's a power from the knowledge of how how organizations will operate in a world where more is being expected of us. We need to show up on social issues. We need to have a voice. We need to challenge things. We need to walk the talk in a more concrete way, not just optics. We need to do more than just PR and and drive, you know, true equity practices through the muscle of the organization definitely the rubber's hitting the road. And, and I don't think that's going away because Gen Z is, you know, still under 25. So they have many years, I think, to bring their voice and bring the heat on organizations. And I am here for that. I am really here for that because I I just feel like Gen X, we did what we could. And I reflect on, I reflect on how limited we were. And I reflect on the, I think the lack of voice that we had to be paid attention to and to to kind of feel empowered enough to, you know, stand up for ourselves and commit to our authenticity and expect that being seen and heard is part of just the table stakes for me to be here, to be working here. I want to matter and I want to feel that I, what my contribution means and feel that significance. Honestly, I, we all wanted that too. It's just that it was not part of our lexicon and was not part of our generational destiny.
0: Right. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. I'd love, if possible, so how to be an inclusive leader? Are there tools, techniques? What, how would you advise a leader? Where do they start? I mean, you've given incredible examples of, of ways already, but are there any kind of tools, frameworks, methodologies that you'd, you'd recommend to say, hey, really start here, or this is what I would recommend. I'd love to hear your, your perspective on that.
1: Yes, yes. It starts with the individual. I appreciate your question because it's uh it's up to all of us. It's not this is not up to the diversity team or HR or more and more the center of gravity is shifting and the center of accountability is shifting to more of us to practice these things, not wait for the unconscious bias training, you know, compliance training to come our way. And then once that's done, kind of put it to the side and get on with the business of the day. This is the business of the day. And so inclusive leadership is a core part of successful leadership. It always has, by the way. It's just, we haven't been, we haven't seen it as such. And I think we haven't been comfortable with calling it that. And I think some of us have felt, frankly, not good at it because it didn't, has not impacted us directly. And I'll say us, just pick one of my identities. If you're a white leader, for example, you might've assumed, I'm not sure what I can do or what I can contribute because I'm not having the experience that I'm learning about that others are having. I would say that is, that is kind of old thinking. We, there's so much you can do even if you don't have the lived experience, that is the focus you know, of our efforts. There's so much. And I can talk a little bit about that. But I'd recommend people pick up my second book, which is How to Be an Inclusive Leader. There's a model in it that is a maturity model. Yeah. And you can take an assessment that plots you on that curve. There's, a, there's four stages from unaware to aware to active to advocate. And what's most important, I think, for learners in my experience is that we start from the right place <laughs> because I wouldn't want to put a 1.0 student who, you know, who's just awakening to, in a 3.0 conversation. It's, in a, it's an evolution. And it's almost like um, you, know, you, can't, you don't want to eat like 10 meals at once. You won't be able to digest them. Uh, so we have to think about metabolizing new learning. You know, we have to think about, again, like sort of letting it settle in to us and then taking that next bite. I, and I, that's how I experience learning for myself, that it kind of layers, but I need time to d- digest or metabolize and make it a part of me so that it, it, it's an additional fortress in my foundation, right? It's an additional buttress. It's a piece, you know, that I'm adding piece, 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 piece until such time as I have like a nice, really solid, broad base. And so many of us don't have a lot of those pieces of understanding because we live these these lives, of course, that are through our lens of experience and identity and things don't happen to us. And so when we learn what happens for other people, those those are the ha moments that are so powerful to say, wow, like my black colleague or my female colleague hears this microaggression over and over in meetings. So I, as a learner, I wanna know what those microaggressions are. I need to study what those are. And that's not a mystery, by the way, this is all online. So learn the top five microaggressions for each community of identity that's not yours. And even ones that are yours, because I think some people are sort of, you know, some of us who have what I'd call marginalized identities, we sort of don't want to look at the hard stuff because it's so tiring and exhausting and depressing. Sometimes you just push through and you act like it's no big deal because this is the way that you've survived. So actually learning those microaggressions and thinking about our identities and, and really noticing how tired and fatigued is this making me, that I am kind of putting up with this and putting up with that and not saying anything about this and seeing this happen. And I think acknowledging the cumulative impact of, of laboring in a workplace not built by and for you is as much, that's very important for all of us. Um, and then on the flip side, if you're sitting here listening to this and you're saying, gosh, I don't feel I'm, any of my identities are in any way challenging for me, uh, then I work with leaders to really identify privileges. And I say it plural because it's so much more than white privilege or male privilege, which have been, I think, weaponized in, in, in an unfortunate way well, because it doesn't really see the whole person. So I don't think we can generalize, but it's also so reductive. There are a million privileges that actually all of us carry and we can carry both, you know, marginalized identities and privilege. I mean, look at me, I'm an LGBTQ plus woman. So I can, in the same meeting, in the same conversation, I can experience both a microaggression and then I can actually weigh in and point something out and have the privilege that comes with perhaps my skin color, comes with, I don't even know where I went to school or something I might share in common with someone or my seniority. There are ways that I can activate the privileges of access, comfort, safety, permission to speak the truth and the ability to be heard differently than other people. In the same moment, those things can happen. And I think that that's true for a lot of us. I mean, most of us, I would say. So so far from you know, thinking about this as it's somebody else's job and they'll take care of it. We, if we want to be leaders who thrive in the future and really remain relevant and really are, are um, setting ourselves up for success to pivot into a future where most of our teams are not going to identify like we do, where lots of hidden hidden dimensions of diversity exist in each one of us. And yet we're sort of in this time of unearthing a lot of that and talking about it for the first time. So if you're the kind of leader that knows how to establish enough psychological safety to enable trust, to have people share that with you. So if I come out to you, for example, and I, 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 I trust you enough to tell you who I am and, and who I spend my life with and my family, I mean, that is an enormous amount of trust. And with that information, my colleagues, my manager, can puzzle through with me Mm -hmm. as an ally, thinking through, okay, so what might hold Jennifer back in her career path um, that is not, doesn't have to do with her performance, but does have to do with other people's bias about who she is, right? And that might be unconscious, it might be conscious. Mm -hmm. You know, so anyway, I I think the leaders that can build that kind of psychological safety will come out ahead and will be equipped for the future. And we, we, we have no choice. We have to really get this under our belt and live it. And we've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable and we've got to be ready to make mistakes and talk about those mistakes. <laughs> and I know it's really hard. It's really tough to 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 stumble or fear stumbling and therefore just desperately not wanna do anything because we're just not sure how it's gonna come across. But unfortunately, There's no way around this, but through and through means, you know, I fall off the bike, I get back on, I fall off the bike, I get back on. Eventually I fall less. (laughs) And when I fall, nobody berates me about not knowing how to ride a bike, but somebody says to me, good, you know, nice try. Let's try it again. You know, and I wish that we had that sort of, we need that grace and space for each other so that we can evolve together and with each other's support through this time. I think there's some toxic behavior I noticed that has very, very little patience and very little compassion for getting it wrong these days, quote unquote. But I just think that we have to be very humble to the fact that we've all been a learner at some point and we all still are learning. And I challenge anyone to, you know, explain to me right now, like all the gender identities and all the (laughs) right wordings for that uh, and do it in five minutes, you know, I mean... Uh, very few of us can do it. And I'm, I'm, I'm in that community and I'm still trying to learn how to share my pronouns and how to broach that topic and, and, um, and, you know, be curious about it and create enough psychological safety so people will share them with me. So there's just a lot we need to do. I would recommend reading the book, take the assessment, discover where you are, take the right next step, which is really important so that we can remember, digest and build, and then don't be afraid of being wrong because you're going to be and embrace it and talk about it. And people respect that a lot. And I think we are more likely to get that space and grace if we are truly trying with good intentions, but we are constantly checking on our impact, which is, you know, there's intent and then there's impact. So make sure you're you're accurately understanding how you're coming across and the difference that you're making to others that you are trying to be in solidarity with because really impact is only defined by someone else and not yourself. So another kind of pro tip. (laughs)
0: That's awesome. I I love it. I love the idea around thinking about where you are in your maturity model, you know, looking to to understand, to learn, to apply, to grow, create that trust, you know, among your, your team and creating that psychological safety and also measuring the impact that you're having it's a really beautiful model to think of in that that continual learning i know as a leader i'm i'm learning all the time and i went from should i speak now i i i held back quite a bit um but now i'm confiding in other people to say hey you know how should i think about this is is this the right way am i using the right Words and I'm growing as as a leader. I, I have much 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 more <laughs> to mm-hmm. grow and learn. But I think some of the tools and techniques that you just you know taught here even help me in this moment. So really appreciate oh, so you as a person and you know, love to, we think in this idea of almost collective wisdom or what have you learned as of late and what are the three pieces of advice that you'd give the listeners today to say, hey, start with these three things. It doesn't have to be three, but you know, what's what's top of your mind that you'd help kind of guide us for the the next steps here?
1: Yeah, I would say, so we're in this virtual world and that may or may not Change. I mean, if anything, it'll be a hybrid. But we're still going to be zooming all day long, so virtual inclusion is something to really think about. You know, what does that mean? I, I sitting here now. I I wouldn't know necessarily what it even means. Like, it's a it's a massive topic because there's inclusion, but then there's the application of it virtually. And that could apply to voices in meetings. It could apply to follow up for introverts, or you know, stylistic diversity and diversity of thought that needs to be accounted for. It could also apply to video on or off, you know, depending on how people are feeling, like taking into account mental health um, on a on a given day. And how we expect, quote unquote, to people to show up professionally in all of that. I mean, that's a whole other, that's like a whole podcast in and of itself. But I guess thinking about virtual inclusion and, and defining that together with our colleagues, I think that's another one where it needs to be crowdsourced because no one single one of us is going to have the answer for what that feels like and looks like. So I would really recommend investigating any work group you're a part of, colleagues, projects, I would take the time, particularly if you're the leader, but as a colleague to check in and say, are we maximizing the tools that we are having to use now or that we get to use? Because there are some some actually lifts that are coming from working this way. Are we maximizing these tools? Are we practicing inclusion in this virtual realm? What would feel like uh, an improvement for that? How would you feel more comfortable contributing? And what would we need to, to shift? Or what, or what should we experiment with that might shift this? So those really powerful questions. And I think asking them often and making sure um, we're hearing from everybody. <laughs> um, the other thing I, I get very concerned about is the pipeline of talent. In this virtual world, I fear the talent that was already falling by the wayside in the physical workplace because of bias and stigma and imposter syndrome and all those things that go on for those of us that are more underrepresented, this stuff can get very um, exacerbated when we're not bumping into each other in the hallway or when somebody doesn't stop by and give us an idea about a a new position we might want to go for. So we have to replicate those channels virtually. So I would recommend thinking through whom am I mentoring? Whom am I sponsoring, which are different, right? Sponsoring is actually joining your professional capital with someone, meaning you are vouching for them, which is has shown has been shown to be the most powerful technique to raise up and grow all kinds of talent because it means that you're basically you're coaching somebody, but you're also the vouching is the piece is really, really important because. Companies are full of relationships, and it's all about who you trust, of course, and who somebody else that you trust, trusts, (laughs) right? That's how it goes. So uh, I think uh, my advice would be to lift up talent, check in much more often. I would use this opportunity to revisit who you make time for and make sure they don't all look like you. You know, if you are of certain identities, you know, maybe you look at your mentees and say wow, Every, so many people went to the same school I did or so many people are in the same functional area or many people are male as opposed to female and I'm a male mentor or I, it's mostly white or I don't have any LGBTQ people that I'm spending time with regularly to, to grow a relationship there. I think this is how we learn how to communicate across difference to build trust. That's how we learn other people's language. And I don't mean language like Spanish and you know Chinese. I mean... Also our sort of psychological language, the language of our identity, how we refer to ourselves, how we define belonging in the workplace. We need, if we're in a vacuum, which so many of us are, and now we really are, we've got to cut through that and create a lot of opportunities to spend time with the intention of saying to ourselves, who's at most risk in our workforce that is super talented And that was already at risk before the pandemic. And all you need to do to realize what's happened over the last year is to look at the numbers for women leaving in just millions from the workplace. Why? Because the appropriate supports haven't been there. And this predates the pandemic, but just was tremendously exacerbated in a tragic way. When all these other supports were kicked out, these women fell. And we fell. We quit. We left, we couldn't, we couldn't deal with it because nobody could. And it was just such a a systems failure on so many levels. And we just don't, we don't want that to, we want to let that stand. We need to start investing now in shoring up our talent that is vulnerable and making sure that we're not allowing this exodus to continue so you got to fight for your talent and you have to do it in a in a different more proactive way. I would like to see this take up more of people's time in their calendar is literally building these kinds of relationships, attending meetings about diversity and inclusion and, and themes around identity should be a part of everybody's calendar. You should be there listening, picking up on language, reading ideas, podcasts, media, any sort of grasping for ways to literally be a fly on the wall of different lived experiences so that we can learn and grow and start to, I think you alluded to just watching yourself kind of become more comfortable being uncomfortable and actually making some progress, which must feel really good. You know, people get, they get overwhelmed and I fear they either give up or they get paralyzed. Um, But the important thing is to keep moving. You've got to keep moving through this. As difficult as it might be, you'll have bad days where nothing works and you feel discouraged and you feel embarrassed. And then there's other days when you'll say, oh my goodness, I'm so proud that I just did that. And I've really grown from that. That was an amazing conversation and I had an aha moment. Those are really important moments for all of us, just not as humans, I mean, leaders, but as humans. I mean, those are things we never forget. So we're going to have to create things that happened organically in the previous world. We're going to have to create them now. And I like that because in creating them, there is an intentionality to it and a specificity to it and a goal to it that I think could become much more sustainable and scalable than the way we used to do it, which was, oh, bumping into somebody or, oh, you know, sure, I'll mentor this person because they're somebody's kid. (laughs) Like, you know, it just was so, it to me smacks of kind of that old, way that we used to the sort of patronage system of the workplace and how it used to operate not as a meritocracy in the least but it was really about you know who we knew and you know who went to the same school or whose families we hang out with you know after after work or what neighborhoods we live I mean it's so this is an opportunity to I think create a real meritocracy that's more inclusive and I think we should use our tools to make that happen Um, and we need to because otherwise we're going to be in a world of hurt for years if we continue to lose talent in the way that we had uh, last year.
0: Right, what a, what a great way to end the podcast. So virtual inclusion, lifting talent up, checking in, having high impact and creating breakthroughs that will really change the way we, we are today. Mm-hmm. So couldn't be more grateful, Jennifer, for your, your time today. I've learned an incredible amount. Our listeners are going to learn an incredible amount. Thank you for who you are and what you do.
1: Oh, Thank you so much. I always love our conversations. I appreciate it so much.
0: Thank you. Take care.